Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Two games to none lead in this best of seven in LCS. Schwarber with two homers. Phillies with three home runs. And a 10-0 win in game two. It's not every day that you get a chance to have the voice of the call of the day. In this case, the call of the day being the punctuation of the Phillies 10-0 win over the Diamondbacks in game two of the National League Championship Series and have that person on the podcast the very same day. Well, we did that. Brian Anderson, the voice of the postseason. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody's talking about some of the great calls that he's already had. He's had plenty of great calls throughout his career. But this postseason, he's really, really nailed it in so many different ways, in so many different avenues. You know, obviously home runs. When you have, listen, when you have six home runs from the Philadelphia Phillies after two games already, you got a lot of practice. You got a lot of chances, but they're all over the place, including, by the way, hitting the first pitch of the first inning for the Philadelphia Phillies in game one and what that was like. There's so much to get to with Brian. I geek out over the sort of broadcasting insight, where people have come from, where they think the industry is going, and how you do what you do in these big moments. I mean, listen, we remember the big moments. We remember the 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 images of the big moments. But we also remember the calls. We remember the the passion and 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 how broadcasters are able to function and either excel or not excel in those moments. And Brian Anderson has done nothing but excel. All right, we appreciate him coming on. We'll get to in other podcasts probably later today, throughout the next couple of days, we'll get to the what's what when it comes to the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, and then, of course, the Rangers and the Astros. We'll get to all that. But we want to bring you behind the scenes of the excitement, the passion, the execution of these calls in the postseason, which is part of the fabric of what we're talking about. All right, at BB isn't boring, Twitter account, social account, also FanDuel.com slash boring. We're going to have Pap, our gambling expert, Papelbon, Jonathan Papelbon, to, oh, my good, his heart rate, holy mackerel. 
He's on the cusp. He's on the cusp. Six wins away from that bet that's going to pay him $150,000. FanDuel.com slash boring. You can be so lucky. All right, here you go. Here's Brian Anderson. All right, listen, I am fascinated, fascinated <laughs> by great broadcasting. And, Brian, you're, you're obviously one of the best. Um, but this is a different stage, right? This is – and you've done a lot of big games. And by now, I don't know if it's if it's when you go into this kind of stage, if you feel different, if you feel like there's more eyeballs and earballs on you. I don't know. Like, do you feel yeah. that at this point in your career? Well, there's there's at this point in my career, it's actually easier. It's easier. I remember having a conversation with Jack Buck 30 years ago, 30, 30 years, yeah, plus. And he said the big games are the easiest ones to do. The hard part is getting to the point where they trust you to do the big games. <laughs> and he was right, and that's the truth. And so once you've done a few big games, and for me it all happened, it all started right here in this ballpark, Citizens Bank Park, because uh, until I did the Roy Halladay no-hitter, you know, there was still that element from the executive branch that can we trust this guy? You know, we, we think he's good, we'll give him a, a try. But we don't know if he's going to be able to hit in the big leagues, you know, if you're uh, from a baseball perspective. And so when the holiday no-hitter went down and then that that was a big step for me to, to realize I have called two, 3,000 baseball games at this point that, you know, the plays are the same and you can kind of trust your instincts on certain things. So that that's where it gets easier. So I'm in a three-man booth now with Jeff Francoeur and Ron Darling. Mechanics are easier. I don't have to talk as much. I can peel down all my prep because they're going to have a conversation. So, But there is a lot more pressure on these games and a lot more eyeballs on these games. And, of course, if you screw up, then a lot more scrutiny about those well, screw-ups. And, and, you know, I will get to social media. Like, that, like that's, I, I, that's the thing that for every part of the industry is, is we try to push aside because we just want to do our thing. But going back to the Al Halliday no-hitter, so you said that was your big moment. Yeah. All right, so that game's going on, right? And now you're thinking, all right, this might be a real yes. thing. This might be a real thing. And had you done a no-hitter before? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and thank God, because that's exactly what I told myself as you're trying to quiet your brain down. And in the middle, I remember there was one point in that game where, so I'm a bit of a baseball historian. Like, I, there's, I know who Don Larson is and know his whole story, but there was a moment in that game that I could not remember Don Larson's first name. It was in a little little bit of a panic. And my stats guy who worked for Elias, I asked him, I said, it's, it's Don, right? He goes, oh, I don't know. Is it Bob? So, like, there's that real pressure that you're forgetting things that you just know because you know. And so that, there was one moment, but I do remember coming through that and we, could, we come back from each inning and the no-hitter's still going. And then it's, then it's breath support. And then it's like, trust your eyes, trust your vocabulary. That's what I'm telling myself. Yeah. Just whatever it is, it is. You've called thousands of games. You're, you're I, I called no-hitters in the minor leagues and in the major leagues at that point. So it really was just a, pep, a self-talk. And it's rhythmic breathing to get your brain your heart in rhythm, which gets your brain in rhythm, which helps you remember and think about things. And then, you know, for the most part, 
try to be quiet when the, the moments call for it. So, so how do you, so now you're like really scratching where I itch when it comes yeah. to like figuring this stuff out. Because how do you, how do you get to that point in your career? At that point, you knew that stuff, right? Yes. The rhythmic breathing, getting your mind right and all of that. Um, is it, is it something that someone told you? Is it just doing it? The reps, like you said, nine years in the minors. Yeah. Like, how do you figure that out? Well, I, I can't speak for everyone. I will say for me, I was a college catcher and I was an athlete, two-sport athlete in high school in Texas. Played Texas high school football the whole bit. So for me, all of those moments came from my athletic background. And, you know, my older brother was a pitcher and pitched in the major leagues a long time minor league pitcher and and I used a lot of his stuff too but a lot of the, the mental side of the game so that's where that came from so I took those same principles when I would be at bat in a college game and a pressure at bat oh interesting and I would do that when I first started broadcasting and that worked and then then I'd have another level up where I would okay now it was my first radio live radio broadcast or then my first TV broadcast or my first big league game all these markers that you hit along the way and I just use those those practices through that uh, same as an infielder would before a big play same as a, a, a quarterback would before he steps in a little visualization and a lot of trust and like also you know there was a major turn in my career at one point where I stopped being so tuned in outside in okay. so worried about what people think right. what I'm, what do I sound like as I'm speaking and you just go inside out so, when, when were you able to do that because that, that's like I talked you said I mean especially this day and age yeah. that's the hardest thing to do that for me that was after four years of minor league baseball okay and probably at that point you know four years of 140 games a year throwing BP before games for the team catching bullpens doing the broadcast then it was like wait I don't I can just be me do me and if that's good enough then that'll be fine if it's not then I'll go do something else but they will let me know they will tell me if my skills are good enough as myself um, and a few mechanical changes with voice and breathing techniques and things like that that helped me as a broadcaster but generally it's it was that eureka moment where I'm better if I just get fully in the process put the tube in the river in Texas we grew up tubing down the river put the tube in the river and get on the river and go not running down the side of the river jumping in the tube jumping back out oh is the tube okay so those were kind of the practices and I think you know part of that's being just tough minded part of that is also being a little stubborn and part of it is just making sure that whatever I say and do and whatever the feedback I'm getting this is long before social media but you know you're getting people who in the minor leagues you may have like a hundred hardcore fans well you're going to hear from every one of those fans about their way you're calling a game so it was almost like in the big leagues you you don't get those individual and and their friends and family yeah so that was really the the big piece for me when I started doing that it's like chains fell off me shackles fell off me and I was really able to let it go and and then as I got to the major leagues and scared to death my first year 
then it's going okay, enough to keep the job, then big moments happening, that was okay, maybe I could ramp it a little bit. So I was always there, erring on the side of caution, Yeah. and I would ramp up. By the time it got to 2008, when CC Sabathia came to Milwaukee, that's when the era, all hell broke loose, and I was letting it fly. <laughs> and then, then that year I got put on Turner for the postseason, I've been with him ever since. What was, um, so this is a cliche question, but what was sort of the moment where you're like, oh man, I just got to call that moment. I don't know if there, what is, yeah. maybe there's been a few of them, I don't know. Well, there has, I mean, there has been through the years, but I, I feel that way almost, I wouldn't say every day, but it's a common feeling for me because I spent nine years in the minors, you know, I, I couldn't get out of the minor leagues. I was in the Texas League in San Antonio, and I just, my career was just stalled, and I didn't know, I didn't know if I was ever going to get out of that. So once I actually went to work for the Golf Channel, and now I'm doing golf on TV, 30 tournaments a year, four days on the air on television, and you know, that, that was a big breakthrough for me also. And, and then just to do the Spurs and be with the Spurs through four of their first five championships, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm around greatness every day, you know. And so I had those feelings all the time. And obviously when I got to Milwaukee, and I remember in 2008, Brian Braun hit a grand slam in a late September game against Jesse Chavez. <laughs> And they were in a pennant race, and they made it that year. But that that moment ended up on an iPhone commercial on the, the first Apple iPod really? video. Yeah, I'll send you a clip. Did you get residuals? I, mean, I did not. That's the obvious but question. I was watching the World Series, and this commercial comes on, and I'm like, I knew it was a big moment for Milwaukee. All of a sudden, this thing is all over the World Series, the Phillies Rays yeah. World Series, yeah. as a matter of fact. And I was like, oh my God, like the things I'm saying on broadcast now are now like on commercials. And so fast forward all these years later, the LeBron James, the scoring record, the, yeah. the Stephen Curry three-point record, the Damian Lillard 37-point three-pointer. Yeah. Like all these things are now just part of what you just hear walking around, whether it's their own brands, Adidas yeah. or Nike and their commercials. Yeah. So that, that I still find that just fascinating and I do NBA 2K you know I've done NBA 2K oh, now for that's cool. it's my fourth year doing that yeah, yeah. Uh, and so but they use all those cuts all the time yeah, just to yeah. be in a 2K session recording play by play it's like man that, that feels like an out of body man, experience all, all the times in the San Antonio yeah. and throwing yes. BP for my like that is that's awesome so you know, one of the things I'm fascinated about is, are the big moment calls right so um you know, I don't know. Listen, I mean, I, I, I see broadcasters. I certainly wasn't trained as a broadcaster. But I would imagine you see younger broadcasters. They're like, I got to script that moment. I got to yeah, be ready no. for that moment, right? And don't that's, do that's it. What I'm saying. <laughs> like, we had the moment the other day where you have these weird plays, like Harper, you know? Yes. Where you're not straight. It's not a home run, right? Right. So... But so that so you I guess what I'm saying is that you're conferring or confirming what I'm saying, which is just act like you yeah, were on the couch. You man. can't. You, well, and it's but there's a little more intensity than being on the couch, yeah. and there's a little more preparation and execution. But I would say, like mechanically speaking, you know, I when I first started, I wrote out everything. Did you? I didn't can calls, but I wrote out opens and I wrote out 
on cards things I wanted to say about certain players and then it just became so cumbersome and it took me and the audience away from the game that I that's kind of about that time I told you about four years in where I just said I'm going to be fully present to the games the moments I'm going to trust my vocabulary my prep that I'm going to be able to come up with the words and the stories and my brain is going to function well because I'm going to put my heart in a good rhythm which allows your brain to function well that's interesting and so all those baseball techniques when I was a player yeah, yeah. and so how do you calm your brain well you breathe rhythmically and so I, I I just started to trust all of that and then when it honestly when it started to happen I was able to deliver then it became easy and then you get confidence in that so how can Bryce Harper get calm in the in the most pressure-packed moments yeah it's he's doing a much higher level but it's the same principles apply so for me it really was just making sure I didn't script things out and trust it like I always tell young broadcasters and there's a lot of mechanical things that I talk with young broadcasters but the most important thing is if a lot of young broadcasters are trying to be interesting so I ask them to take the ing off and put the ed on it be interested if you're interested and not trying to be interesting when you're interested in everything you're seeing, what, what's what's going on that I'm interested in, that an audience may be interested in? If you just dive in that way, you'll be amazed at what you can come up with. That's like, oh and the, the, That's the, the creativity and curiosity yeah. will then spin off into content on the air. So you and I here talking like we're in NLCS game two. Yeah. Oh, so you're interested in my story, and I'm interested in yours, and I'm interested. I'm watching players walk out, right. and I'm interested in how Christian Ponce got here right now. Yeah. I already have like 10 thoughts in my head. But so if you just stay in that place, yeah. you'll be amazed at how great your content is. I love will be. that. I mean, that honestly for podcasting forever, that's, and I think that this is, that, that there are so many people who don't understand that. No. There's so many Because they're trying to make a name for themselves. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think, you know, not all, all of it is their fault. Yeah. I think a lot of executives and a lot of people who hire, they're making demands like that. Most of them have never been on the air. They've never, they've, they've received it. They've been an audience and they know what they like or don't like. But, you know, to be really interesting, yeah. you have to be interested first. And yeah. that's a, you can't skip that piece to be interesting. In my hey, we had talked a little bit about home run calls. I want you to tell yeah. a story that you did about, like, the, the enthusiasm of a home run call. But just on the surface of home run call, being in a booth and being alongside you know, Will Fleming and Joe Castiglione and some of these people, you know, I have such an appreciation, number one, depth perception, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. And, but also the, as it's going, of the excitement of, like, for instance, you know, game one of the NLCS, we see these home runs, and I'm in the crowd, and I, the anticipation of, oh, and, and your home run calls are like that. And I, and I would imagine, like, for you, like, that's what you want to do, right? You're, you want to, this goes back to the interested. Yeah. I'm interested how I would react, and the breathing, and the mental, and everything, yeah. for a home run call. It's not just, you know, like, sweet, sassy, molassy, just another home run, right? So. Well, it's, uh, that part of it goes to preparation, and trying to be in the moment and, and to learn the game. This is why I love baseball broadcasting as opposed to the other sports where you, you don't you don't get to know things like at that level. Um, so in baseball broadcasting, we have a hunch that, that Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper are going to ambush just because 
Zach Allen's a throws a lot of first pitch fastballs, and you know it's you got a couple alpha dogs matching up against each <laughs> yeah. other. They're trying to establish who's who. So going in, we so know ready. that. Yeah, yeah. So then we're kind of ready. For example, a lot of people won't, won't know this. If you go back and watch the bottom of the first in game one of the NLCS, you'll notice we didn't do the traditional comeback from breaks. Here's the lineup. Here's the pitcher. Here's the leadoff hitter. We didn't do that. Yeah. We only did the pitcher yeah. quickly. Yeah. Then we did Schwarber stepping into the box because yeah. we knew he may swing at the first pitch. Yeah. So that we were on time. Yeah. We did the lineups four batters in. That's great. Which is a very traditional thing. People don't really notice, but we get habitual in our world too. But we all in our meeting said, no, we're not going to do the lineup because that takes that? 30 seconds. That we did it with Acuna. Yeah, okay. All year. Yeah, yeah. Anybody, any first pitch ambushers in the pitch clock era, especially. Yeah. So we're able to change and move on the fly and change the way we do our habits yeah. and do things different just because it's okay if we don't get the lineups in before the first batter. Yeah. Because after the fourth batter, I can say, well, you've seen the first four, let's meet the rest. Yeah. So if you go watch the game, you'll see that part. And that's, that's great. So like for a home run call to build up, and I, I do want every young broadcaster out there, we don't get it right all the time. Yeah. We make mistakes. We we call balls that maybe we think are going out and don't. Yeah. So don't think you are going to be perfect. You're not. Even those of us like have that ascended to this level, we make mistakes all the yeah. time because we're going on data. Umpires, outfielders, batters—are they pimping it or not? Like yeah. we're looking at all these things. Yeah. Our eyes are moving all these places. So that we're just trying to accept all that as it's coming and then make the call. So I, I would say, like, please don't think we're perfect. No. Uh, we're not. I know fans on Twitter and social and X—they'll let you know when you're not. But really, the 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 art of the call is to not be buried in your notes. Back to what I was telling you about. Trust your vocabulary. Trust what you see and how you're going to call it. Trust your prep. So usually for me, if I write it down, I'll remember it, and at least generally will remember it. So have your eyes on the field and be interested in this moment right now. Back to the ED versus ING. I can take a choice, make a choice to be interesting, say something, quote Harry Callis, at the top of the of the broadcast yeah. because we're in Philadelphia yeah. or I can say oh Zach Gallen Kyle Schwarber yeah. first pitch fastball thrower first let's go in there right now yeah. boom so that like we don't always get it right but that's kind of the idea and we do that over and over and over it's like beer bottles going by over and over again and the last thing like I said I want to get a little wonky because we talked about sort of the the amping up the voice and you had told me something I, I didn't know about what it, this is the byproduct of being in the minor leagues, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So t- tell me a little bit about how the element of working with basically nobody in the minor <laughs> leagues has helped you. Yes, that. that's uh, every every broadcaster who's spent time in the minor leagues, or if you're old enough and you realize. So in, in broadcasting now, and, and when we're at this level, these giant mixing boards that we use now, they all have limiters on them, similar to what singers use. And you could yell as loud as you want, and you don't have a limiter on yours, so if I yell like this, that sounds awful what I just did. Okay? You'll, when you hear it, you'll, yeah. you'll understand. But listen, it's appreciated because yeah. it's been a challenge with this DJ like every single day. So we're talking yeah, through the yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah. So when you're in the minor leagues, you, you have to engineer your own stuff. You you carry your equipment. I have a 12-channel Mackie mixer that I, that I brought with me, and so you just don't... 
you don't have that ability. You have to keep your voice at a certain level or use a stick mic and move your mouth away from it and, you know, ride it like a singer would. Yeah. Well, when you get to this level, we have professionals who mix it perfectly and there's limiters on. You can scream as loud as you want. It's going to drop those yeah. limiters. So once I kind of like eureka that, oh, I can get loud? Yeah. Because I remember calling a, a home run in Milwaukee my first year and like... That's not going to sound good. It's going to sound modulated like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I heard the highlight, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So then I added more, and then I always wanted to be excited, but we forced ourselves not to because of the equipment that we were dealing with yeah. and the limits of having to engineer your own broadcast. And when you do that for nine years, you don't. that's all you know. Yeah. So it was um, It's like learning a new language at that point when I got to the major leagues. And I have a tech background, so my understanding of TV and how everything worked was good from that side of it, yeah. but not as far as my voice connected to that right. technology. As you see, I'm, number one, you've educated me. <laughs> number two, you got me fired up. You're interested. I, I'm totally, I listen. <laughs> I mean, I am so interested. And by the way, when I do those spring training games that no one listens to, I am going to be thinking about all this Hey, stuff. there's never... There's never a meaningless game. Yeah, when, when, when big number 97 comes in the seventh inning of a March third game. Hey, think how important it is for that guy's family, though. I, and yes, him. That's what I always remember. Yes. The families are 100%. Listening. Yeah, 100%. Bye, Brian. Hey, Rob.